and, and, and we are so proud, we couldn't be more proud of Ian Lindsay and of you because this is quite remarkable. So three years ago Ian and Lindsay left our church, Gateway Church in Paul, to move up here. Three years ago uh, I and a couple of others came up for a vision night in the church building just here to talk about what we were hoping to do and some of you I know what. Who was at that vision night evening? Just a handful, just a handful. And um, started a new church and then a year later a pandemic strikes and that's a terrible time to start a new church. And look, here you all are. Just amazing. It is the grace of God. So this is a really significant day for, for this church that we are going to pray for Ian Lindsay and Johnny and Lynn a little bit later. And we're going to recognise and commit and commission and appoint Ian and Johnny as elders. And that might seem a bit strange because Ian started the church and Johnny's been here with him from the beginning. And you might think, well, why? What are we doing? This is a bit odd. They're kind of already leading. They're already pastors here. And there's a sense in which nothing changes this afternoon because... These guys are still serving and leading amongst you as they they have been. There's also a sense in which everything changes because we believe that as we recognise Ian and Johnny as elders, lay hands on them, pray for them, there is an anointing from God which we're looking for to come upon them to equip them in a fresh way for what they're doing here. And it's also a kind of a recommissioning moment for the whole church. So whether you were here three years ago for that first vision evening or whether you this is your first Sunday and you're thinking this is where I want to be, this is a a moment to be commissioned together again for the mission that God has called you to in this place. And especially as we've come out of, or coming out still of the pandemic, this is a time for uh, Glasgow Grace to be recommissioned in all that God has for you. So this is a a big moment and and I want to speak about what it means to grow into maturity. And this afternoon is really about this church stepping into a new phase of, of maturity. We were actually meant to do this a year ago. I was meant to come up a year ago and uh, lay hands on these guys. And of course that got stopped by COVID. Uh, and that was sad. But also in a way it's good because it's given another year to grow into maturity. And it is just amazing that you were here. This church is thriving in the way it is after all that you've gone through over the past two years. In Titus, Titus 1 verse 5, the Apostle Paul says to his friend Titus in Crete, put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. And uh, there's a sense this afternoon in which we're going to be uh, putting something which is unfinished. We're going to f- complete something which needs to be finished, which is to recognise these guys as elders. And so I want to talk about how a mature church should function. And I'm going to be speaking from a few verses in First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 15. That's what it says. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, discourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. This is one of my kind of touchstone passages, especially if you've known the Lord for any time. There's key passages, certain verses in Scripture which particularly resonate with you, and and these are verses which particularly resonate with me, and I often think about and have often spoken about. They speak about the responsibilities that all members of a congregation have for one another. 
And today we're going to be recognising Ian and Johnny and their responsibilities, but also recognising the responsibility that you as a church, as a congregation together, have. And so first thing to see from this is the responsibilities of the elders. What is it that we are commissioning Johnny and Ian to this afternoon? It says there in verse 12, Acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. That's, that is kind of a job description for elders. Work, care, and admonish. So let's think about those three things. First thing is that elders are to work. There is a sense in which eldership is labor. Now, it's not out breaking rocks and building roads or down in the mines or building ships on the Clyde. It's not that kind of labor, but there's nonetheless a sense in which being an elder, being a pastor, is a call to labor, a call to work. It calls for diligent men who are willing to put their shoulder to the wheel and to work hard. There is an expectation that the elders in the church will work hard in serving the church. And I know that is not in doubt with these two gentlemen. When Ian was on staff with us at our church in, in Paul, Ian was a legendarily hard worker. We knew that he was utterly reliable, consistent, it would always turn up, would always go the extra mile. And from what I know of Johnny, he's cut from the same cloth as well. So we know these guys are going to work hard. Actually, part of your responsibility as a congregation towards them might be at times saying to them, hey guys, you need to take a break. Uh, so as not to burn yourselves out. It was good that Ian and Lindsay were able to get away for a few days holiday last week. Part of the work to which elders are especially called is the work of preaching and teaching. First Timothy 5, it says, the elders who direct the, church, the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. There's a, there's a labor, actually, even in doing what I'm doing now to prepare, to spend time in the word of God, to feed the flock from the word is not something that should be taken lightly. It's not just a case of dashing off a message the night before. Actually, there's a diligence, a work, a labor to serve the people of God. Now, in, in my team, I'm grateful that I have a team that work hard. There should be a picture of my team coming up. We were away together a few weeks ago. Here's my eldership team and uh, a few others who's not elders but serve with us along, alongside us as elders. Uh, there's three of us who are full-time staff elders, myself and Richard and John. Actually, John and Vicky are going to be here with you next week. John heads up our worship teams and they're going to be here with you next Sunday. And, and John and Rich are paid as elders, but they're not clock watchers. They don't do it because they're paid. They do it because they love Jesus and love the church. Think about Nathaniel, who uh, we've got two, two congregations, two sites in our church, and Nathaniel leads the one that actually Ian was leading before he came and started Glasgow Grace. And Nathaniel works full-time at the university in Bournemouth, and he's also got significant health problems. He's often in a lot of pain. He's got fibromyalgia, limits what he can do. But he is so incredibly hardworking and diligent in serving the people of God. Think about Gordon and Paul, who are the two older members of our team, and both uh, marketplace guys. Paul works for Dorset Police, and uh, Gordon was a paramedic, since retired now, does gardening and odd jobs. But the way that they serve the flock, their, their diligence, their work in serving God's people, and their wives alongside them, these are men and women who work hard for the cause of Christ. 
amongst us, and I just love being in team with them. They're mothers and fathers in the church who are reliable, consistent, turn up, work hard, serve God, serve his people. And hard work, working, is part of the job spec. It's part of the job spec for Johnny and Ian as we appoint them this afternoon. They're expected to work amongst you. This is a labour which is born of love. It's not something they have to do. For Johnny, obviously, as a marketplace guy, he's, this is voluntary for him. He doesn't have to do it at all. But he does it because he loves Jesus and loves you and loves his city. And Ian's not doing it for the pay. He could be paid a lot more doing other stuff. He's doing it because he loves you, loves this church, loves Glasgow, loves Jesus. So elders are called to work. Second thing that elders are called to do is to care. Eldership is, is a shepherding role, a pastoral role. One of the things the elders are to do is to, is to care for the flock. And that's not always easy. Sometimes caregiving is demanding. And if any of you work in caregiving or uh, have somebody you have to care for, you know that that is a demanding occupation, a demanding role to take. And giving care as an elder can also be at times demanding. Now, what does caring or pastoring or shepherding look like in the church? It's got to be more than simply being nice. I think sometimes we can have this impression of what it means to be a pastor. I want to be pastored. I just want somebody to be nice to me. Just somebody to hug me and love me and tell me how wonderful I am. And pastoring can involve that. And I hope at times Johnny and Ian do hug you until they love you and all the rest of it. But it's more than that. Uh, this, this phrase... The elders are to care for you in the Lord. In the, I'm reading from the NIV. In the ESV translation, it talks about the elders who are over you in the Lord. It's a sense which care is directional. There's a responsibility before God that the elders have for the care, for the well-being of the flock. That's why it says in Hebrews 13, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch, they care for you as those who must give an account. Ian and Johnny are accountable before the Lord for their care of this part of the church. And that means there needs to be a, a willingness to be in and amongst the people, to get mucky with the sheep. Being a shepherd can kind of be a, a, a mucky uh, 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 task. Um, Grace and I, one of the things that we like to do in, in the summers is go to agricultural shows in Dorset. And uh, one of the things they always do at agricultural shows, you've seen this when they do the sheep shearing stuff? And it's a mucky business, and the sheep don't like it. The sheep get hoiked out of their pens, they get turned on their backs. Great, huge, muscular guys with massive clippers <laughs> taking the fleece off the sheep. And then the sheep is released. The sheep need it because if they... If the fleece just keeps growing, in the end the sheep will just kind of get so much wool it topples over and dies. And so it's for the good of the sheep, and then they go off and they're much happier when it's happened. But it's kind of this mucky, kind of stressful thing. That's a picture of what care can look like. And uh, Johnny and Ian are to care for you. I think about Gordon, one of our elders, um, the way he cares, particularly for one of our guys in the church. He's got severe mental health problems. And, and he's a lovely guy, but... Caring for somebody with severe mental health problems is demanding work. And I think about the way that Gordon is prepared to kind of get mucky, to get down and care for this sheep who can be demanding. It's not, not easy, not always attractive, 
to care for somebody in that kind of situation, but it's beautiful to see the way that Gordon cares for him and helps others to care for him as well. And caring, care, caring sometimes means being firm. There's a directional aspect to caring, but it should never be harsh. And the reality is that every one of us wants to know that someone cares for us. We do. We need to know that somebody cares for us. And in the church, there should be a sense that these guys, they care for you. They really do. They love you. They care for you. Concern for you. Want the best for you. And then the third thing, which this kind of job description for elders says that elders are to do, is to admonish. And this is the most challenging I'm sure we're all very happy. Yeah, we want John and Ian to work hard. And we want John and Ian to care for us. I'm not so sure we want them to admonish us. It's a more challenging one. To reprimand, to warn, to advise, to urge. But there's a biblical expectation that this will be needed. That's actually part of the job spec for elders. That at times they will admonish people in the church, that admonish the church. Now that is very challenging for us, especially in our point of cultural history, because the way that we have been trained is that as soon as we hear this, somebody's, actually their responsibility is to admonish us, to warn us, to advise us. We think, how dare they? Nobody's got the right to speak to me like that. I can, I'll do what I like as I want to do it. Nobody has the right to tell me what to do. That's our natural default position. And so if Ian and Johnny are going to be able to do what actually the Word of God calls them to do, two things are needed. The first is that you as a congregation have to be willing to receive admonishment if that is needed. You have to be willing to submit to that. And the second thing is that Johnny and Ian need the courage to be able to do it. This is one of the things I find most challenging about being an elder. There are times when people need admonishing. It is very, very difficult to do. And there are times when I just kind of have to screw my courage to the floor and make that phone call or get that coffee and speak to somebody and say, I really feel there needs to be some adjustment here. I find that massively challenging to do. It's not an easy thing to do. So elders need to have the courage to do it and the congregation needs to be willing to receive it. We, we have different standards and expectations from the world. We are building an alternative community. This church is not just to be a manifestation of Glasgow life. You're to know and reflect Glasgow in many ways. You're to reach Glasgow. But this is to be an alternative community which is built on the values of the kingdom of God and what the Bible teaches. And that means we have to do things differently. And that can be challenging. These things are demanding. The elders work hard, that they care hard, they admonish. These things are demanding. And this is why elders need to be of the highest character. It's why they need to be men of grace. This church is called Glasgow Grace. And Ian and Johnny need to be men of grace in order to be able to work as they should and care as they should and admonish as they should. And if they don't lead in grace, then leadership can become something which is driven. And we don't want shepherds driving the sheep. It's a picture of a different kind of models of, of, of shepherding. 
the way that we shepherd in, in the UK is you have a sheepdog who chases the sheep and chases them where they're meant to go. The, the biblical uh, picture of shepherding is that the sheep gladly follow the shepherd because they know the shepherd is going to look after them and lead them to food and to water and what they need. And one of the metaphors that we use for, for, for parenting when we're talking about parenting is that we think that parents should be shepherds, not sheepdogs. Often in the way that people parent these days, it looks, they look like sheepdogs, kind of running around after the sheep, after, after their kids, kind of chasing after them, uh, trying to keep up with them, trying to herd them more or less where they're meant to go. Actually, as a parent, you're meant to shepherd your children in a way which means they follow you gladly. And eldership is a fathering type role. So there should be a sense in this church, not that Ian and Johnny are running around snapping at your heels trying to get you where you're meant to go, but that the congregation as a whole should be moving in the same direction, following Johnny and Ian's lead, because you know you can trust them to lead you into good things. They're to be shepherds, not sheepdogs. These are the kind of men that you should want to follow. And I think Ian and Johnny are the kinds of men that you should want to follow. So good, godly men who love you, love Jesus, love the city, love the mission you're called to here. That's the responsibilities of the elders. What about the responsibilities of the congregation? Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Acknowledge the elders, hold them in the highest regard, love them. Now again, this is challenging because it's very different from how we are trained to think about leadership. We exist in a hermeneutic of suspicion. We assume that anybody who is in any position of leadership is suspect, doing it for their own ends, their own ego, their own goals. And in church life, that's not how it should be. There shouldn't be a suspicion of those who are leading, but there should be an honouring, a loving, a regardful. So my charge to you would be assume the best of Ian and Johnny. Not naively, but assume the best. Assume their motives are good, godly, pure. Want the best for them. Celebrate their wins. When these guys do things well, don't look for that opportunity to kind of knock them down a peg, but celebrate with them when they do things well. Look for ways to help them in their work. That means actually that every member of the congregation should aspire to have elder-like qualities yourself. Every member of the church should have the kind of characteristics, the, the, the character traits that we expect of elders, because if every member of the church has those kind of character traits, well, everything functions well, and the congregation and the elders work well together. Pray for Johnny and Ian. It's so needed, not just tokenistically, but pray for them. Hold them up in prayer before God, because they need it. And encourage them. Don't assume someone else has encouraged them. You encourage them. Look for opportunities to encourage them. And a church where the elders and the congregation function in this way together is a place which is happy and healthy. And we, what we're looking for at Glasgow Grace is, is robust spiritual health for maturity, for a genuine family dynamic, for a sense of genuine love where Everybody wants the best for everybody else. That's what we're looking for. And so the next thing we just said in this passage helps us. We see what everybody's responsibility is. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with 
everyone. This is how everyone, the elders and the congregation together, are to function in church life. And it says, choose a way of peace. That's because some, sadly, are disturbers of the peace. So rather than being a disturber of the peace, choose to be a person of peace. The world is not at peace, but we have peace with God, which means that we can be at peace with one another. Hallelujah. And to have a church where there is genuine peace requires action. It requires humility. It requires humility. Not fighting for your own rights, but being humble in how you treat other people. And it requires action. That peace is actually something we have to fight for. We have to fight for peace. And this is an action that all of them are to take. So here it says, I urge you. We urge you. This is important. We urge you to do these things. And there are three peace-disrupting pits we can fall into described here. Idleness and discouragement and weakness. So let's just look at those quickly. First thing it says is to warn the idle. And this is a responsibility not just for the elders but the whole congregation. If you see somebody who is idle, warn them. And we know as we read First Thessalonians that there were some people in the congregation who were idle, people who were just lazy and their laziness was disrupting the peace of the congregation. We are called to work. This is what God created us for. It's the creation mandate of Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So whatever your work is, work at it. If you're a student studying, study hard. If you're out in the marketplace doing a job, be diligent in your work. If you've got responsibilities in church, carry them out faithfully. If you haven't got responsibilities in church, get some and turn up and do them. Be that reliable server who doesn't have to be chased but is here and ready and joyfully, gladly serving. Don't be lazy. Don't be idle. And if you see someone in the congregation who is idle, then the rest of the congregation, brothers and sisters, have a responsibility to warn them. Next thing it says is to encourage the disheartened. Now we know in this church that people were discouraged, they were disheartened. Some were discouraged because some members of the congregation had died, and that was discouraging. Some were discouraged because persecution seems to be coming, and that's discouraging. And there is stuff that happens which discourages us. It's discouragement is constantly coming our way. And there's been a huge amount over the past couple of years which has been discouraging in all that's happened through the pandemic. And we have a responsibility to build one another up. We live in a world which would constantly discourage us. We have a responsibility to encourage one another and build each other up. And part of the challenge here is that if somebody is discouraged, it can look like they're idle. Have you ever noticed that? That somebody who's discouraged, depressed, they can look like an idle person. And actually, they might not be idle or lazy. They might just be discouraged, depressed. And so you have to discern. If somebody is discouraged, the worst thing you can do is to warn them as if they're idle. That's just going to discourage them more. And so there needs to be some pastoral wisdom learnt amongst the body about how you do this. If you see someone who's discouraged, encourage them. Don't crush them. Have a culture of robust theology in this church. Joy giving trust in Jesus by which you can encourage one another, build each other up. You can speak truth to each other. You can come away from the nonsense of the world and you can speak courage to each other. That's what you're to do. 
And then the third thing it says to do is to help the weak. And the reality is that some just are weak. And when we hear that phrase, we tend to think of it as a rather negative thing, as a kind of a, a perjurative thing. And, it, and I don't think it is scripturally. It's just a, a recognition that different people have different me measures of strength. It's true in terms of physical strength. If we lined everybody up in this room and said, okay, let's gonna, we'll do some physical PT tests. Let's see who can do the most push-ups, who can, who can do the most mo sit-ups. We'd quickly work out who was the weakest and the strongest person in the room physically. And there would be no disgrace between who's the weakest and the strongest. It's just how life is. And, and that kind of sense of strength and weakness applies in all kinds of areas in our lives. Some just are stronger, some are just weaker. And if somebody's weaker, they, there's nothing to be ashamed of. They just need some extra help. And we are to help, not to hinder the weak. Someone is too weak to carry their own load. They need somebody else to come alongside them and help them. And the trouble is with this, that sometimes, again, it can be hard to distinguish between what is weakness, what is discouragement, and what is idleness. If someone's weak, you don't want to beat them up because you say you're being ever so lazy. You want to help them because they're not strong enough to carry the stuff they need to carry. It's not laziness, it's just they're not strong enough. And so there needs to be, again, wisdom and grace, helping one another in these things. Helping the weak to find strength in God. And then it says, and this is the key thing, be patient with everyone. Now, why do we have to be patient with everyone? I think the, one of the reasons is that that's because every single one of us, at some point, is likely to fall into one of these pits. There are times when every one of us is likely to be lazy. There are times when every one of us is likely to be discouraged. And there are times when any, every one of us is likely to be weak. And... If I am feeling lazy in an area, or if I am feeling discouraged, or if I'm feeling weak, I want somebody who is going to be patient with me and actually help me, not just get cross with me. And you want to be treated in that way as well. And so if you want to be treated patiently, well, treat others with patience as well. Let's be patient with one another. Let's help one another. So if someone's idle, we can patiently help them out of idleness into productivity. If someone is discouraged, we can patiently walk them through to encouragement. If somebody is weak, we can patiently help them carry their load. That's how I want to be treated. That's how you want to be treated. Let's treat one another in that way. Don't try and be instant fix. Often this stuff takes time to work through in church life. And then the last thing is, verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. This is, this is mature church life. This is church life which is responsible and realistic. Why is this instruction included here? Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Why is that instruction included here? I think it's because at times things will be done wrong. Ian and Johnny are not always going to get things right. And I've been in, I've been in pastoral ministry now for 26 years, I think. I've been an elder for the last 21 years. And over those years, 
there have been times when I have got things miserably wrong. There have been times when I have not been patient as I should have done. There have been times when I've confused weakness for idleness for discouragement and not spoken to people in a way which I should have done and helped them as I should and there have been times when I haven't worked as I should and haven't cared as I should and haven't admonished as I should. And that's the reality of our lives because each of us is weak in some measure and gets things wrong. So there will be times when Ian and Johnny don't get things right. There will be times when they get things wrong. But when they get things wrong, don't look to pay back wrong for wrong, but strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Don't, don't look to keep score. Oh, the elders have done well this week, or not so well, I've got to kind of tally. No, don't do that. Look to do, strive to do what is good. There are also going to be times when you do things wrong. And I think of all the times that I've been wronged by members of my congregation. The times when members of my congregation have not been as patient with me as they should have been, when they have misunderstood, misinterpreted my motives and emotions and actions, and that's been painful. What is the response then for me as an elder? Well, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And that means, Ian and Johnny, keeping your hearts soft as you pastor and care for this church. Strive to do good. Glasgow Grace, strive to do one another good. This is what healthy, mature church life looks like. Where the elders are working and caring and admonishing. And where the congregation are loving, honouring, regarding the elders. And where everybody is helping each other, whether your problem is weakness or idleness or discouragement, helping each other out of those things patiently striving to do one another good. That's what mature church life looks like. That's what we want Glasgow Grace to look like. A people, a body who are characterised by joy and prayer and faithfulness, by love and truth and unity. Looking for this church to be spiritually dynamic. Looking for there to be a sense of responsibility for and to one another. And looking for this church to be brought into a fresh experience of that as we now recognise Ian and Johnny, appoint and commission them as elders to serve amongst you.